Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music, including my new track, Dog Park, is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. If you've got an extra buck or two that you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Also consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by David Letterman. My greatest fear in life is being dull. You can be great, you can be awful, but just don't bother being dull. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Sterry Music Podcast, episode 101. Thanks to all the folks who contributed to this podcast on Patreon.com. Sad to report that my college drummer and friend Brian Chico Durham lost his battle with PTSD this week. His wife preceded him in 2015 fighting a similar battle. Very sad news to relate. I'll remember Chico for his humor, weightlifting, and all the hard rock bands he was into, such as Limp Biscuit, Avenged Sevenfold, etc. He was the first drummer I ever worked with, and we rocked every college house party at UW-Stout and beyond. Rest in peace, Chico. Love you, man. Last week's Geeks Wrap-Up. Wednesday, I played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Thanks to hostess Karina for getting my area ready and helping me dial in my new lights. Thursday, I played a solo show at Tuttle's in Hopkins, Minnesota. Thanks to Omar to going to bat for me and saving me from a lonely, hot night out in the patio to a fun rock and jam on the inside stage. Friday, Brian K. Johnson and myself rocked out at Lucky's 13 in Plymouth, Minnesota. Best of luck to bartender Brian, with whom I've worked with as far back as in the Bostons and Woodbury days, on his new adventure in Egan. And thanks for changing my life by turning me on to excellent bands such as Camera Obscura and my recent addiction to the creepy doom metal band Ghost. Saturday, Brian K. Johnson and myself jammed at Vanelli's by the Lake in Forest Lake, Minnesota. It was very nice of Johnson to forget his bass and leave me to set up the entire PA and play a third of the show by myself before he showed back up with it. Oh, well, it doesn't happen very often. Bri Bri from the Range Wisconsin Christian Mingle.com chapter was there as well with his Slayer t-shirt on. Sunday, I played a set for the Justice for Jonathan O'Shaughnessy Celebration of Life at the Richfield Legion. Honored to be asked by podcast guest and friend Brian Naughton to help out. Jonathan was randomly gunned down in July while leaving a 4th of July dance with family members. Please look up Justice for Jonathan O'Shaughnessy on Facebook and see how you can help. Upcoming shows. 
Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Thursday, September 21st, Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rocking at Lucky's 13 in Burnsville, Minnesota from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, September 22nd, I'll be playing a solo show at Wild Bills in Woodbury, Minnesota from 5 to 8 p.m. Saturday, September 23rd, Brian K. Johnson and myself will be raising the roof at Seven Brothers in Clayton, Wisconsin from 8 to 11 p.m. Sunday, September 24th, Brian K. Johnson and myself will be playing Oktoberfest, rocking at Paradise Landing in beautiful Balsam Lake, Wisconsin from noon to 3 p.m. Is part two of three with the legendary Minnesota singer-songwriter Martin Zeller. We discuss Mystery Alaska, performing on Letterman, Zamboni song lyrics on Jeopardy, etc. Enjoy the conversation. Mr. Martin Zeller, welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Part two with Martin here. We were just talking about... Martin is bilingual. I happen to catch a phone call, and here he speaks Spanish, and we're talking about the best way to do that, just to engulf yourself down in Mexico, I guess, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although I've, I have found out I have a friend who I've been meeting for coffee every day because he's learning Spanish, and I figured out that it's like he's learning it correctly, like taking classes. So I learned completely from immersion, so I can speak it, I can understand it, but... All of a sudden, when I'm looking at like the really formal, like on paper stuff, I realize, like, wow, I don't. Some of my spell, I don't know accents because I've never. You know, obviously, you don't use them speaking or hearing it. So I'm gonna. Have, it's kind of been nice for me to kind of learn a little more formally with yeah. him. Have you ever written songs in Spanish? No, I don't. I can't imagine I ever would. Or do like a little version of one of your albums in Spanish? Yeah, no, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I mean, never say never, but uh, I don't think I would ever, I can't imagine, it's not, no one will ever mistake me for a native speaker. You know I mean? I like speak, I, I can say what I want to say and I understand everything, but, you know, if I'm speaking to a native Spanish speaker, they're, they're never going to, they're, they're always going to know that it's not like, not my first language. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, Martin lives in Mexico some of the time, but we're here at his kids' house, right, in St. Paul here. And uh, I'm, we're just taking a look at all the vinyl and things like that. But I was going to ask Martin if they have the number one thing in their kitchen that you like, I guess. What? Do they have Smart Balance Spray? <laughs> You're supposed to put... Like a little oil or something in there before you put the pasta in so it doesn't stick. I don't know if they have any oil here. I didn't bring things like that, but. Oh! There is this like smart balance spray. It'll probably do the trick. So. I'm gonna give, you know, three. Three sprays with the smart balance in there should do it. No, you know what? I think like we, we got Target brand, I think, is uh, in here. I, this morning I was watching. I forgot I saw about that. Years that. Ago and you put that cooking video out. That's still on? It's still on there. somewhere. Watched, I watched it. Was it? I watched it yesterday. 
And it's it. You're, you're cooking the Ciola pasta or something like that. It's pretty funny. Oh, I got deadpan. To... You're like, yeah, it's the funniest thing. And so you're like, look at this. Is this I wrote them. Spark, spark balance spray. And you go, you got to have it's three sprays. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was like, I had, I, I forgot that that was, I'm surprised it's still out there somewhere. I had been, I went to Wisconsin. I have a friend who has a cabin. And it's a, not completely off the grid, but it's like, it's heated by a wood stove. And I said, I'm going to, he let me use it in the middle of the winter. And I thought, I'll go there and I'll spend a week and I'll just write and I'll be away from everything. And there's no internet, there's, you know, no TV. And it was great for like four days. And then I started just going stir crazy. And I ended up like recording that and some couple other things just out of absolute boredom and started to lose it so yeah i did a cooking tutorial <laughs> it's yeah what's the first thing that comes up when you google your name <laughs> yeah, well, that, that might be a good thing oh no uh where was the cabin at just uh in wisconsin it was in actually near my in-laws it was in uh Right by Spooner, but what's... Rice Lake, Shell Lake. Shell Lake. That's it. It was in Shell Lake. This is funny. Right. Okay, this goes into a question. Uh, so my family has a cabin in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin, which is just like probably 20 minutes from Shell Lake. And I during the summer, I go teach out there at my hometown school and things like that. Anyway, so we have this old... Just this old family cabin, just stacks of VHS tapes. I refuse to like to like upgrade to DVDs and things like that. No internet, whatever. Anyway, so when I'm bored, I'll throw one of these movies in. One of my favorite cabin go-to movies, is, which is now broken inside the old cabin VCR and thrown in the shed, is Mystery Alaska. The mystery team has a shot, right? A shot at what? Hey, listen, buddy. Do you know where a guy can get a rub and a tug around here? What? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I forgot so, about that one. So when you were talking about Zamboni earlier, I know a lot of people, I don't go a lot of the games, so what it reminds me of is my summer cabin watching DVDs in the summertime, or watching uh, VHS in the summertime. And so um, I guess, did you ever get to meet Russell Crowe? Probably not. Huh? I, I did not. And... But as but, a lot of us, I was doing spend a lot of time in Nashville doing this, uh, you know, the pushing the songs and doing that kind of gimmick or whatever. How, how did about how did that song wind up? I mean, it's obvious fit, but uh, how did you get that song placed in that movie soundtrack? God, well, I own my own publishing. I own. I've never done anything. That's the reason that that song has been so successful. Is figured out it, and it was I wrote it in about 15 minutes as a complete joke I thought it would be funny to play for the guys I was drunk it was probably 3 in the morning I stumbled home from a bar but anyway it's if someone's making a hockey movie or a hockey TV show or a hockey commercial it's a pretty shallow pool to draw from so <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's it's been used in, I mean, you know, Mighty Ducks and Mystery Alaska, it's been used in hockey commercials, 
at every single one of the late night talk show hosts has done a segment where they've driven a Zamboni. It's been used in the background of all those. It gets it's so there's a Malcolm in the Middle episode where they someone steals Zamboni. So I don't know. You know, I haven't had to do anything. I've never done anything with my publishing. It's just they came to me because it's kind of well known in the hockey circles, and now. It officially is part of the part of popular culture. It was the lyrics were a clue on Jeopardy last year. And now here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Alrighty, thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, folks, and welcome again to our show. Very happy moment at the end of yesterday's program, of course, for our returning champion, Walter. And he showed his excitement, and you would, too, if you picked up over $15,000 in cash. Are you serious? Yeah, that was, like, maybe my proudest moment, finding that out. And so, and Alex Trebek, like, finished the line. Like, it was, ever since I was young, it's been my dream that I might drive this machine. And the guy got it, and then Alex Trebek finished the, finished the line of the song, and like so put you over huh if, yeah yeah that was just like not, to be I'm a big Jeopardy fan big Jeopardy fan so and all of a sudden it was on did and I just did you catch that live no I didn't ahead of time. but it was just like immediately like these messages just started emails started showing up and messages on my Facebook page people just it sort of lit up and I yeah it was like wow that is so cool wow um Edwin McCain. This is one of my favorite songer, singer, songwriter right. guys from back in the day. And people, I've heard him in interviews, people ask him, like, he had this big hit song called I'll Be. It's like, I'll be your crying. There's a big hit for him. And so a lot of these other musicians were complaining about they always have to play the same songs every night, whatever. And they asked Edwin McCain if he's sick of that song because every single night he's got to play it. And, and some people, get, of course, get engaged to it every single time. And he had this funny answer. He goes, that's like getting mad at, like, you win the lottery and you have the lottery ticket hanging on the wall. That's like being mad at that lottery ticket that you have to stare at every single day. So no, I will play that song happily every night. That's where I'm at. About Zamboni? Yeah, that's where I'm at with it now. I had a uh, love hate relationship for it, with it for years because it was driving me nuts that I was defined by it for a lot of people, which was frustrating as a songwriter again because you know it's not representative of of my body of work no. at all. <laughs> but, you know, novelty songs, which is what it is, it's a, it's a simple, sweet novelty song that, you know, hit a niche that no one else had covered and apparently struck a nerve. Apparently a lot of people actually want to drive the Zamboni. And I got to be honest with you, I've, I've never really had the inclination. I've had the offer many times, but it's like, it was a joke. I had a, I, it's, I played hockey. I was a bad hockey player growing up, and I always liked the zen-like quality of the ice being cleaned one strip of a time. But no, I never had any, like, never really wanted to draft the Zamboni. <laughs> I can imagine that some acoustic show, 
you sitting there, like, wherever it would be, rocking out, let's say, running on pure fear, and just selling that big middle part, I hate myself, da-da. and some of you lady, can you please have voting next? Oh, oh constant, yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> but, you know, again, I've made my peace, and it's like, I wouldn't, if people want to hear it at a show, I'll do it. But, I mean, I got to say, too, surprisingly, I do a lot of house concerts now, and I have a lot of people that just say, please don't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they don't, because they're fans of oh, my my other stuff, stuff and, they, and they just think it kind of gets in the way of some of, of that more serious material. So I, there are... I don't mind either way. You know, it's like I certainly am not offended when people want to hear it, and I'm so happy I wrote it. Um, so you're talking about these house shows. How do those go about? Do you just sit like people have a party, and you sit there and play for them, or how does that go? Yeah, you know, it's like as I get older, it's like for like singer-songwriters. Like kind of thing? And... It's, it's a lot more. It's very uh, intimate, you know. It's like you're just basically sitting around in a living room, and it's usually like 25 people you know ish and uh you sit right there kind of in the middle of everybody and it's people ask questions you i'll tend to talk more about songs or answer a lot of questions it's it's i i love it it's easy on my ears which is nice and it also isn't easy for me just like grab a guitar get on a plane head someplace do a show, and you know, I touring is expensive and a real, you know, a real grind. So this gives me an opportunity to go play to fans outside of the Midwest. That and I said it's it's really simple to do, and I can make a little money on it even. And on the ones outside of the Midwest, I can make some money. It, no, it's been. It's been a godsend for me, and I love doing it. I mean, it's a lot of singer-songwriters are doing it now. It's becoming, you know, a big part of how they make a living. That's awesome. Um, is there people that hire you, like, once a year for a certain party or something like that, so you know, kind of get to know the folks, too? Or Absolutely. I would say that um, the large majority of house concerts I've done have become annual semi-annual i've been back multiple times since i started doing them which is again great because they actually do become you know friends or you get yeah. to know them well and it's it's develop actually relationships with them there awesome stuff um you know thinking from the working musician side here uh some of the stuff you've been able to do is really amazing and just uh, you're so fortunate and so you know um, some of us would love to give their right arm to do some of the stuff to you know to be flying around doing shows and being in movie soundtracks and doing this kind of stuff here's another thing that you've done that many people would just dream about can you tell us since we did you did mention talk show stuff earlier do you mind sharing what it was like to play on Letterman Please welcome to the show, Gear Daddies. All right, guys.
I, in all honesty, it's like I have, I got done doing that and I remember walking off stage and looking at Randy and just saying, asking him in all seriousness, did I sing the words? It was just, don't remember the actual experience and really i mean i what i remember is like afterwards it cut to a commercial and david letterman came back and thanked us and we were on the show because he was a fan of of billy's live bait and specifically of stupid boy he Mm -hmm. specifically wanted the song that we did um so he was just as nice as could be he always had a midwest bias too and he knew we were like Small town Minnesota boys, so I think maybe he liked us or was a little nicer to us because of that. But no, it was a, an amazing experience. But when I went back and watched it that night at the hotel room, it sort of an out of body experience. I don't didn't quite remember having done it. Were you able to sleep the night before? Like, well, how would you even just relax prepping for that? Ah, uh, well. I, did, I didn't, and it's like, because of me being me, all I kept thinking, I at no point was like, this is going to be so good for our career, this is going to be so good for us. All I could think is, I could really fuck this up. Like, I'm going to forget this all. There was nothing positive in my thought process. And then, you know, when you do it, it's, it's interesting because you got this woman who was standing three feet from from me, right in front of me, okay. with giant cue cards with the lyrics to the song that I that I wrote, you know? And you, it, it seems kind of funny until you realize you get up there and they're there only because, for peace of mind, because otherwise people just go blank. blank. And I've only sang the national anthem twice, and both times because I wanted tickets to the Twins playoff games. So... <laughs> But it's like it's a hard song to sing, and but man, I tell you, if the lyrics hadn't been on the jumbotron, I would have forgot them. I could sit here and sing the national anthem a hundred times in a row by myself, but you get in front of you know thirty thousand people or whatever, and your mind just goes blank. And so you know, you're sitting there in the middle of the infield, and you have the jumbotron behind you with the lyrics. And just having it there is enough. I didn't. I didn't end up needing to use it, but if it hadn't been there, I probably would have blanked out completely because I just had that oh, peace so of mind brutal. by having there. Oh, it's the I. I'm, I'm assuming you've probably sang the national anthem. I have tons of stories with those goofy things. Oh, and it's it's a hard song to sing. It's, yeah, for me at least, it's what a three octaves or. At you least, start I think. Up too high, you're screwed. Oh, you're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you had so they had written out cue cards holding up, or was it like a digital thing? No, a big written out cue cards, and it literally was three oh, feet, three feet in front of me, tops. You know, but the angles they come at you don't. You don't and know. And it's like like the Bob Dylan video. And yep. Like, oh, yep. I assume, I don't remember her, I don't have any recollection of, like, remembering her switching them, or even after we kind of were, uh, did it, them being there. She was there during our sound check, um, and I, just because they want you to get used to doing it exactly how it's going to be, but once we are on air, it's like, I, then I don't remember, but 
The guest on the show, the main guest was Leslie Nielsen. The stewardess said... Both pilots. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. And okay. it ended up... He, start, he was like, throughout his segment, was flirting with the cue card girl, apparently. And I don't remember her at all, but apparently... He thought she was really cute and became a big part of his shtick throughout his segment with interview segment with Letterman that he was flirting with this cue card girl. He was dropping his don't don't call me Shirley lines. I don't I don't remember that either. It was no, it was it was you know huge for us and it was a complete Billy's live bait was dead. It had been out for a while and it had just kind of run its course and it had done well. In the Midwest, and it had done well in Pox. It did well in the East Coast. Um, but, you know, we sold nothing out West and nothing down South. Um, so it was considered a very, very moderate success. It was successful enough that we got our option picked up. But then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get a call from Letterman Show saying they want us on there. Just because, again, Dave was a fan of the song, and it just kicked the album. Like, it just took off. I, I got a life again and made all the difference in the world. So how was that band meeting like? When the phone rings, and you're like, hey, they want us on Letterman. They want Stupid Boy, but you guys can't go at all. Because they're going to have the, the, what do they call it, the world's most dangerous band's going to back us up. Yeah, no, it was uh, okay. it was contractually, it was a contractually... You, you didn't have a choice. Everybody got to go, but Billy ended up not even going because his brother's graduation party was that night. But Nick was there and in the crowd and got the, was like, he? yeah, he got to go for everything, but he just didn't get to perform, which really, really sucked. But obviously, you know, we couldn't pass up the opportunity. Wow. I would have about 200 beers after I did that. I was... It's not 300. It was... It was... Yeah. <laughs> Nerve-wracking. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, so, episode two is already winding up. Mind doing one more short one real quick? No We're problem. Gonna, thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Uh, so, for um, story behind the song segment, I'm going to ask you about one of my favorite uh, records that moved up here, talking about playing live and stuff like that. Uh, two guitar, bass, and drums. Uh, the song... Oh, East Side Boys, which I think is off your first a solo record, isn't it? Right. So um, what's the story under. behind the East Side Boys song? It's growing up in Austin, you know, the east side of town was the working class side of town. And it, it tends to always be like the oldest kind of, a lot of times the oldest, roughest part of town because as I, someone pointed out to me and all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, of course. You know, America spread east to west, so typically the oldest part of town, the first part of town, the east was the first part of part of the city that grew and it expanded west from there. So that tended to be true until you hit the Rockies, and then it was the opposite. But you know, a lot of those were little vignettes of the east side of Austin, which is where the meat packers, the old-time meatpackers lived, and it's, you know, it's a generalization, but there tended to be a lot more houses with 
yard dogs and Christmas lights that just stayed up all year round and it was it was there were some rough areas, believe it or not, of the east side of Austin. I've always admired your I kind of look at it like a Norman Rockwell lyrics you have sometimes, like especially like in that song, The Christmas Lights All Year Long, or talking about the parent teacher conference and stuff, the parents don't show up and of, of the variety of your songs, um, who are, let's say just right now, who's some of your musical, so where do you think that comes from? Who's some of your favorite songwriters that write like that, that real um, Norman Rockwell, let's say Hemingway-ish, just simple but yet descriptive way of like American life? Songwriters? Yeah. Oh, I mean, the, the guy who sort of did it for me was Springsteen. This is your hometown. This is your hometown. And he sort of... I'm a songwriter because of Bruce Springsteen in so much as he demystified the whole process for me. I'm, I'm a fan, you know, and was a fan in high school, but there was sort of... This idea that it was sort of magical, like you writing a song was really hard. You had to be, you know, have a super special gift to write a song. Well, I remember at one point listening to Springsteen, and a light sort of went off. It's like he just writes about is the stuff he sees around him. He writes, you know, he's writing about, you know, what he was going through, and you know, it was a very working class the very working class stories, you know, and all of a sudden I came from this meatpacking town, very working class, and just like, wow, all I have to do is look around me and, you know, tell some of these stories, and so it just sort of, like I said, light bulb went off. So Springsteen's the guy. Well, he's the, you know, he's, I would say he's the reason that I became a songwriter, where all of a sudden I looked at it as like a a possibility like I can do this super cool that's awesome um, I guess one final one for this episode just came to my head right now so Allie Gray who plays with you we were BSing one day and I was asking her I said Keith Urban a number of years ago had a song called Stupid Boy Stupid Boy You can't fence that in Stupid Boy it wasn't your stupid boy, but it was almost the same premise. So oh, really? Well, mine look, was before him. Way so. before him. I wonder if you, I was wondering, I think I asked her if you've looked into that. Like, it's the same, like, outline, same oh. idea, just a different. Never heard the song. So yeah, I'll have to stupid check it. boy. And it's from the guy's perspective, like yours. And I don't know. I, th- I think someone heard your stupid boy, kind of huh. like Leon Russell did a song for you, and then Elton John did your song. It's kind of like that a little bit. Just well, the premise you can't wrong. It's a, a you know that's one of those songs. I think the, the line, the title, and that last line, kind of you could build a song around that. Yeah. But no, I have to, I have to listen to that. <laughs> Allie, by the way, as I, I think I told her this is the I, my original thought was I was gonna, I wrote some girls, thinking I'd write it a song for Allie. Really? Was, yeah. So it was some boys, but ended up at the last minute tweaking it. I'll have to see if I can resurrect the old lyrics and 
and show oh, her. That'd be great. Yeah, she's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, yeah she's that, awesome. That's, that's so awesome. Martin Zeller, thank you for being on the Mark Stereo Music Podcast for the second part. Please tune in next week for part three. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Stare Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Stare Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on the show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, Please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. Like in me.